Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Tim Shorts joins me as we talk about that grand TSR module from the 80s, The Dwellers of the Forbidden City. I don't know why the city is forbidden. In fact, I don't even know if that city really is forbidden. But what I do know is that it contains some wonderful elements that shine like bullywogs on a moonlit night. The not-so-secret secret is that Tim and I are working on the reimagining of this module, not so much of a redo as taking themes presented in the module and then doing them in a different way. While this project does come up in discussion, the main focus is on finding great elements and talking about utilizing those principles in the games that we run or design. Also, as a side note, I'll be traveling for work next week, so there'll likely not be a podcast the following week. Actually, the difficulty of getting guests in a timely manner may cause me to consider moving this podcast to a fortnightly schedule. So if there are gaps between show releases, you now know why. Enough of the pre-show blather. It is time to get rambling. Hi, Tim. Hey, Jeff. Hey, thanks for joining me. So we're going to talk about Dwellers of the Forbidden City, or at least some things that we found that we liked about this module. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we both liked it enough to try to revive it from 1981. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's easy. You know, I think, I'm, and this is probably somewhat heretical, but I'm not necessarily a... a I have sentiment, but normally when I go back to all these older modules, I, I there's things that just make me feel like eh, not quite as easy to run and and so forth. But you know, looking through this and uh, man, there are some really some gems I think that go along with this module. I think we kind of agree it's kind of it started as one thing, a tournament module. They turned into another, which was kind of more of a campaign thing, and it's kind of in this weird state but but yet it still does some things really really well absolutely yeah it's i had forgotten how i guess weird it was in some ways you know it's 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 uh yeah you got a bunch of different factions uh kind of in this weird little setting situation and and the party's kind of party gets kind of thrown in the middle of it, and just uh, all the different uh, things that uh, I forgot who was Dave Cook. I was going to say Niles but Cook put in there, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely some what you could like early on adventure things, or like today. I think the adventures that are written are definitely I don't, I don't want to say more mature, but in a way kind of you know this it's a it's a little bit more of a uh it's almost more of like a i if i read this you wouldn't have to told me this wasn't was written in the 1980s i can tell right right you know and that's not i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's just it's sort of like you know if you like hair metal back in the 80s you, you know you right. know when you hear it kind of thing. well it's a, well, yeah or any 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 picture of any time period mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah that was the 70s or yeah that's definitely 90s you know, with those crazy colors or whatever it may be, but yeah, right. it it definitely does. So, so was your things that you liked or the things that popped out? What is what is the first thing that that came to mind or what's top on your list? 
Well, I think the first thing that I liked, now I know there's, uh, you know, some other adventure modules during the time that kind of did this, but I think this is, this was the module that I first experienced it back in the eighties where they gave you a chance to actually parlay with the, the inhabitants within that they weren't necessarily a combat first option um, which was unusual because when you were dealing with uh, the other um, like S1 or like the old, uh, I can't remember what the C1, the, the competition adventure for C1 and C2, the Tower of Inverness and the steading of the hill giants and all those things descend into the depths of the earth. Those were all very combat oriented um, uh, situations where this one you have a lot in here where you can affect the adventure by just talking with them, some of the inhabitants. Yes. In fact, there is a portion of you came across, uh, which I didn't put into my top list, but you can actually run one of the NPCs for a short bit. There's a bugbear who really wants to take out the other bugbear and it, you can just, help them do this. It's I was like, just reading about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, cause it, it's funny. It's, it's not a long module, but there's a lot of little cool things in here. You have to find them though. Yeah. Cause they're kind of worked in with this other stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I was just reading about the, the, the bugbear who just wants to take out the other one or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's funny when you when they have that kind of stuff work because I think what's neat is it kind of not only ties you into what's going on but you can actually like kind of be part of an actual change of of regime or or actually affect it. It's, this isn't kingdom versus kingdom. This isn't saving the world. This is <laughs> right. just helping this other one bugbear take out another bugbear. It's the because, biggest not? piece of meat at the end of the night. Is <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, think, I, it's great. Yeah. Then I think those kinds of stakes were, it's just fun. They're, the stakes are fun. The stakes yes. aren't, have to be deeply emotional. They can just be fun. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree with that. Because uh, one of the other ones that I, I just liked a lot too was, you know, I never see any Zorns in any adventures, yeah. hardly. And I love the Zorn, and I love the picture of the Zorn. He kind of looks like a little old fat man with skinny old man arms, and he just wants some gems and stuff. And and just seeing, because I'm trying to think what it would have been like back then, um, back at that early on, encountering one of these things, because I don't know how many times they were in an adventure, and... While most of us in those days re pretty much memorized the entire monster manual if we had the choice or whatever, but Zorns weren't an often used one, so I don't know if we would have known that one. And it's such a little alien, weird creature that uh, um, trying to parlay with it would just would just been an interesting and probably hilarious encounter. But what's interesting is it, it gives like coaching on yes. this encounter. It's right. not just here's a Zorn. It's like, you know what? It's going to try and demand some gems from these. And it's going to use all sorts of trickery or whatever it can. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't ever recall that in any other type of adventure. Yeah. Uh, not, that I, not that I, at least, like I said, this is probably the first adventure that I ran across this kind of 
of writing where, yeah, they, they, like you said, there was some sort of coaching on how to run a Zorn. Because who knows how to run a Zorn for crying out loud? I know it. <laughs> and it's stuff like here. He says, like, for example, casually, or should play the Zorn with a great deal of character. For example, casually tearing out and eating parts of the wall while it, while it talks. It's like, it's just right. like, it, it, they don't have to give you a lot, but they give you enough to say, you know what, just ham this up. Just turn mm-hmm. it up to 11. Right. And then say, this is, this is not intended to punish characters. And it's like, it's just kind of a, it's a fun encounter that they created. That's just, yeah, you're right. You've never encountered Zorn before. You see this goofy thing. You think it's a joke. And you see it grabbing chunks of wall and eating it. You're probably like, whoa, maybe, maybe we shouldn't uh, tread too quickly into, into combat with this thing. Right. And when, and, and then, and then if you, God forbid you try to fight this thing. I mean, it's got negative two armor class and it's yeah. seven plus seven hit dice. So it's, it, it could uh, make a short work of a lot of adventuring parties if, if you didn't give a, give them its uh, snack that it wants. So, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was one of my, that was, I have to say that was probably one of my favorite encounters in there. And then I think I mentioned to you earlier, one of my, my other favorite things was the, that one cursed scroll uh now nah, i gotta find it again uh where they the, it's a curse scroll where the players if there it is the character who reads it will be obsessed with building the largest most expensive castle in the world and spend all of his or her money to do so and i just love that curse scroll i think that's such a fun one because it's a role-playing one you know it's not it's not really a screw you one in a way it's more like something you're going to do anyways but now you just have to focus on it now yeah and the thing is is i think there's some things you do to a character and you're like they're like upset and going to be angry or hurt or whatever but here's like mike i could get behind this right yeah (laughs) and i'm sure the other players in the party are be like yeah we're going to do it anyways let's let's do this exactly (laughs) so yeah i do like uh that's in yark's the witch which is also a funny guy yark and what's the other one Oh, yeah, because that's with the dis- deceitful bugbears in the same area, too. Yeah, the Sherpzagrap, <laughs> whatever yeah. his my, name is. My number five was um, the the elven uh, mage. Oh. Uh, her name is Arathius. Ara- she's the one that she's with, she's the one who's beating the hell out of the mongrel men, right? She is beating <laughs> them. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and they are, they are uh, definitely afraid. And this yeah. is what they say about her. This is kind of neat. This, this is also coaching how to use an NPC. So she has taken refuge with the mongrelmen ever since the party, her party was destroyed. She tried to escape several times. She'll join and assist any party, not obviously evil or incompetent, provided they help her escape. Uh, the mongrelmen are afraid of her, but this is, um, uh, this is also rumors started that she's, uh, oh, that uh, rumors are starting to spread among them that describe her as an angry goddess of the city, which is kind of neat. But it says she is normally arrogant and indolent, her recent failures in leaving the city have hurt her pride. Although pleased to be rescued, she will mock and ridicule mistakes by party members. And she will not admit readily to any of her own failures. I'm like, yeah, she's not going to last very long with the party. That's for sure. <laughs> well, she, but she is, I mean, she's got third level spells. Oh yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have fireball though. No, she doesn't. I think no. they, but, but, uh, However, she does have sleep, and I, I can't remember what's twice. the level. Yeah, twice. <laughs> oh, well, if you're fourth level, 
I guess your fourth minimum, like fourth level to seventh level on this thing. I guess the sleep spell is not going to be that effective against the party, but. Well, that's true. Yeah. But it's just, uh, it's just, uh, but anyway, but you could see a party would need her or maybe want her. But then again, all of a sudden you're dealing with that, which I think, right, depending on your party, mm. so, so, so may go from uh, giving her two po- copper pieces or two silver pieces and then turn around wanting to kill her to. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> or, uh, you know, but anyway, it's, I think it's another thing that they do well and that they provide these NPCs that just can do some very fun things. And you, you as a GM can probably, you know, turn that knob to, you want it to be irritating, not enough that they kill her, but you definitely want to turn it up to the point where, you know, there's probably like, you know, we need to get this module over with so we can get it off our back. Right, hopefully you could play it off so it's like funny and not yes. irritating, you know? Yes. So, it, you know, it, I, there's a fine line between those two sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then isn't there a thing about the mongrel men wanting to get hurt get rid of her too or something like that that they were uh i don't know it, it is possible yeah but they are afraid of her and think of her as a goddess so and they keep getting the beat down so right <laughs> yeah the, yeah that's and then the picture that they, they're accompanying art for that one I mean, it's just, I mean, she's, she's going way back. I mean, she's like, she's trying to hit this congelment and it's not just a little bit of a swing. No. She's going, she's coming from Florida all the way up the East coast and sitting Maine, fully solid there. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's, that's the one thing too, about this adventure. I, I do remember some of these pieces of art very well. And that's one of the, the, the distinct ones I remember too. It's a fun one. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's very just, you know, it is very disjointed. I mean, as far as, yes. you know, she's properly dressed. Well, I'll say properly, but she's, you know, well, dressed one way. But, she, yeah. she is dressed like a 1980s elven sorceress was always depicted then, you know. Yes, very and beautiful. And yes, and then you got these mongrel men who are just nasty looking and, and right. looking. And then it's just the, I think the other thing is like, just that whole scene is so unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, and the thing is, is the way they describe the mongrel men, like their combination of things, but every time I see them, they look more like lepers to me than like mongrel men in the way yeah. they depicted them in there. Because like when the, the way they describe mongrel men, I guess I always thought of more like Dr. Moreau, kind of, you know, half human, half animal kind of species type thing, but. Well, it's that's what's kind of weird. I think that was going to be later. I was going to bring, but I guess since we're on, we'll just go with the transition. So, mm-hmm. I the Mongrel Men were, I think, one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. For, but I also think there's, it may be a little. I don't know if it's problematic or not, but if you if you read just the description that is given in the the write up for the um, for them in the book, there's mm-hmm. not a whole. You know, it's got the normal nonsense. So, like, you know, thus a mongrel man who spends eight turns would have an 87% chance of success. It's like, that's nonsense. I mean, all this stuff is nonsense. But they say, uh, they, but it says they live, normally live in areas of mixed, large mixed populations. There are layers, they layer in ruins, deserted buildings, and other uh, 
places that humans once lived or built. Mm-hmm. In appearance, they vary greatly, combine the worst features of each race. They speak fragmented common, mixed various animal cries and nonsense. So it's kind of, you can tell what they're setting them up to be. Right. But I, it's, and I think it's kind of neat whether there's supposed to be this mixture of these other races, mm-hmm. but it's like, I don't know how that works. Right. Like, like well, when, okay. they, when they describe it like that, all I can think of is what was that comedian's name? Bob Wolfcat Goldberg yeah. or, you know, how I used to, what's that? Goldthwait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Goldthwait, wasn't it? I, I think so. I can't, I just remember, I can just hear his voice in my head. And as you described that, that's what I was hearing, you know? Yeah. So, and I can't, there's no way in hell and chance I could try to imitate that without hurting myself. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It, I mean, mongrel men, and, and I, I don't know if I've ever used them in an adventure I, and I, not that I can think of, and I don't know if I've encountered them, any, but in this, in this adventure, they seem to be like the, uh, the the labor pool for the other people yeah like, well this is why i think i think the write-up for them is junk i mean as far as there's no reason you'd ever put these in a campaign right right as far as just reading the right but when you start reading how they used them it's like well this is genius right yeah 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 exactly yeah okay yeah they're definitely more interesting in the like the use or the because i mean really in a way all they are is a resource that other people are exploiting in here yes and that's what i think is, is makes and they they could have brought that up in the write-up but they didn't mm-hmm. but it seems like their worst offense is the parents having been of mixed race which just start it starts to seem kind of a little, a little weird and it seems like they take yeah. on for whatever reason they take on the, the like the deformed part or the worst parts of each race and then every time they do it, it's like they kind of keep some i it's it's kind of odd they don't really explain like you know, we know there's half orcs and we know there's half elves right. or whatever, but like, how do you have like, you know, a crab claw and a dog face? And I mean, it's like, yeah, like, how much to drink did they have that night that <laughs> yeah. that happened? <laughs> yeah, they're perpetuating. Them. It's like I don't right. understand. I I think to uh, me, what would make much more sense is like like they're a cursed race, right? And then because they're a cursed race, they have these problems. And people then devalue that, or they, 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 you know, they're off the, they're on the edges of of society because sure. of that. That to me makes much more sense than than just saying, well, they're kind of half breed. It just seems kind of, I don't know. I think a little bit more odd or icky or I don't know. But, <laughs> right, right. No, I know where you're going with that on that one. It, no, I, I think that's a much, much better uh, rationale for them existing and and kind of taking their place among the, you know, the status of creatures, I guess, in that way, or society. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, I think what they did with it. Now, if you go to the, the in page three, so what they do, what I think, another thing I said they did right is they kind of give a, a kind of a nice overview of each of the groups. Right. And for mongrel men, you know, like you said, it says the Mongol men are descendants of the slaves once kept in the city. Uh, oh, I guess they do describe them this way here. So through inbreeding and association with other creatures of the city, association. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a euphemism. <laughs> they have only a trace of their original humanity. But it says, um, 
it says uh, there some of them look human while others are diseased, jungle matter, uh, bestial. It says the uh, Yanti capture them for slaves and for right. the breeding programs, which I think is kind of interesting. And the bugbears hunt them for food. Right. The bullywags use them for food and sacrifices, sacrifices. from the sources right. low. Yep. And I'm thinking, you know, these guys are underdogs. Yeah. Yep. And of course, then they're kind of got that elf girl who's just beating the hell out of them. So she's not much. <laughs> she's not, and she's supposed to be kind of their leader or goddess at the time. And it's just, yeah, these guys are just, just the, the, what was that? The, you, what's that old, that you poor dumb bastard or something yeah. like that? Or you, or you dumb, dumb dead bastard comic with them getting killed in interesting ways or whatever. But yeah, these just are just, they're there to, ex they exist for the other ones to use them for whatever the purposes they may be. Yeah, and I thought, you know, if you did this, something right where you spent longer, I mean, this module, at least, I mean, initially was set up, I don't know how sure how much of this was in the campaign, how much, or I mean, in the, the it's tournament. A tournament. Yeah, yeah but, but my goodness, you could, you know, but you know, sprinkle this stuff in. You see them, mm -hmm. you know, on a spit or eating. I mean, you could with the right party, they could start feeling sympathetic towards these mongrel men. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it would be considering the situation. I would hope the party would feel some <laughs> pity for them. Because if you if you got a party that's pretty uh that like just kind of joins in, then I think you might need to fix it. <laughs> New, new, I want to question who you're bringing to your game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, 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 yeah, and I, and I liked how they did it in some ways in this one because I mean, it, they just like the way uh, like you Cook did the way he kind of wrote them in there. It made sense, and it gave while they didn't. I'm not I'm not sure how to say this. While they didn't make it a prevalent idea you could really work that in as an undercurrent where the players hopefully would take down to that and just sort of become sort of hopefully you know you would think maybe some sort of secondary quest where they liberate the mongrel men and and maybe establish their own footing because because i mean they write about the three major factions in the city and it's the Yanti, the Bugbears, and the, I think, was it Taslo? No, that's the first faction. Those, the, Yeah, the the, the Tasloid, the Bugbears, and the Yanti are oh, a group. And then the, bug, then the Mongrel Men, then the Bullywugs. Yes. Gotcha. I was thinking it was those three. There. Well, okay. they, it was kind of sneaky because they have three separated by by commas, but then, yeah. they, have, then they have three different groups by semicolons, yeah. But yeah, I don't even see them as much as a faction in there, actually. You know, the because they can't really stand on their own. You know? Yeah, they're, but they're not. But the thing is, is they're only. But they're still not tied to the, any of the others. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. and maybe the only thing that's saving them is that is that is that elven uh, mage too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. It's like having an uh, abusive parent almost. You know, <laughs> with, uh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> You know, that could get tricky these days trying to yes. work that in there. I can <laughs> yeah. see, I can see like the uh, socially, what are the, the social or I forgot what they're called now, cultural competency or 
you know, editors that go in there yeah. just to kind of give you a, a red flag on something yeah. that might not yeah. be, a, that one would be kind of a tricky one to work in there, but yeah. I think it does work. I mean, considering the situation, um, it, I, it gives the adventure more depth than just three factions. You got to pick one and beat up the other two. Yes. And I yeah. think what's also interesting is I, I think the, it seems like a lot of times monster descriptions, one of my, my chief uh, the complaints at almost all any bestiary is that it's just a, it's all the stats to fight them. Right. You know, cause, but, you know, looking at them at these at the right up, you like in the fiend filler, wherever they're at, I don't know where they're at. It's not the fiend folio, but uh, a lot of these are, this, this is, this is one of the first modules that used a lot of fiend folio uh, and monsters in it though. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, you just use them to fight. Right. But here it's like, right. You know, they, it's like saying, no, don't, you don't have to use these, all these creatures, you know, even with, as we talked about with the uh, bugbears, you know, mm -hmm. like, no, you can, there can be an alliance with them. Not everything is meant to be fought. You can do mm -hmm. fun things with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, like I said, the first module that I remember that presents that option where the other ones, they basically say there, there's a bugbear in there. Here's the stats. Yeah. You know, and this is what he's got on him. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was pretty much it. You know, there wasn't too many other, or like I said, this, you know, cooked in this one at least kind of gives you a, possible options to kind of discuss he's got motivations beyond just uh you know killing and eating and um grabbing more gold so he wants he wants the biggest piece of uh meat like at the dinner table and take out the big boss bugbear and stuff and who knows if you don't have a you know you don't necessarily have to play these races as absolute evil too they could just be you know highly motivated <laughs> for, yeah you, you know, know. And I think there's a lot to say that, and I, I can get, I could see both camps, you know, talking about evil or not evil, and you know. But right. I think the idea is that, I think, you know, if you present people or creatures with reasonable motivations and mm -hmm. impulses and play them accordingly, then I think you can be true to both of them, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, they're evil because they have no problems eating other sentient beings. They're evil because, you know, they're, they're trying to acquire as much space as possible, whatever it may be, you right. know, regards, but, but it doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, twisting the, the mustache and with an evil laugh either. It's just that, you know, you just, other societies can't coexist with them peacefully just because they are. Right. They're it. very aggressive in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was another thing you liked in the Jeff? Uh, I thought the, well, we kind of mentioned it, but I'll say the, the well, we'll go to the, uh, since we're talking about the creature, right? The yeah. uh, Tasloy. Yes. That, their write up was absolutely, I thought, astounding as well. Uh, and that was, again, one of those monsters that I don't think I ever encountered anywhere else either, you know? Yeah. And, I, I, and I'm not sure why. Maybe because it's supposed to be, they're supposed to be in tropical forests. That could be, yeah, that could be. And um, so it talks about them. They live in steamy tropical forests. They are rarely seen by man. Shy and malicious, and they prefer to lurk in treetops. And it says, then they'll say, they'll eat anything, but they particularly like all kinds of flesh, especially humans and elves. Right. They normally attack from above and capture if possible. And if they gain surprise, they'll use nets. The party's too vigilant and prepared, the Tesloi. Tesloy will attempt to wear down the group through short, sudden attacks followed by retreat. 
So they give all these tactics and then attempt, mm-hmm. yeah, they attempt to steal the dead. So this is almost like, you know, like soldiers in Vietnam. Right, kinda, right. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. they wear you down. Oh, it's hot. You're going to carry your brother. You're going to carry that your friend any longer. He's dead. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're losing, you're exhausting out. Okay. I let him go. Right. You're getting carried off into the trees. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, instead of coming from tunnels below, they're coming from the trees above. And, and, uh, one of the, one of the most interesting things I find it like in a, in an adventure, especially with a combat situation is when you're not just dealing with a two dimensional space is when you start adding depth to it. And that's the complexity to that, uh, combat so if you have someone come out above for you and shoot raining arrows down or attacking from above or whatever they're doing it uh makes the players kind of kind of a little bit nervous that way and uh i think the way he described it did a uh an excellent job to kind of give that dimension to it and he says there it's talks about their the last sentence is Often they can be heard at night speaking in their high and whispery voices. So it tells you how to, before these guys even encounter them, it kind of tells you those things you can do to kind of start messing with the, with the players. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if you start doing that while they're camping, you're going to drive them nuts, which will be great. Because, I mean, <laughs> especially yeah. especially someone like Joe. Joe gets cut, tired of it or terrified of a cow when i imitated a cow yeah. and let alone a, 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 a snake voice person or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. Be, be a, being a city boy i think it's just they just don't quite uh <laughs> no you know, all the wildlife right yes all that <laughs> all that bovine wildness yeah. that's out there that's terrifying <laughs> uh well, if you've ever been chased by one, I suppose uh, maybe that would have something to do with some fear. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, I think my wife lived where there was cows. Uh, her house was, um, it's hard to describe. So there, she lived on a hill, and then there was a fence around the house area, and uh, then it was pasture land. And then, so you had, so and you have to drive through the pasture, but they would go out and go to the creek. But she's been chased by cows a few times, so. He's a little nervous about him. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't want, I mean, yeah, you don't want one of those things to step on you accidentally or be around them when they're going to the bathroom because they got quite the uh, yeah. ranged attack <laughs> with those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think the thing is, is like they, they, they've given the, uh, they've known they get good with the job with the NPCs, but at least mm-hmm. here for this riot for this creature, it's like they gave so much to the GM to use that I think that adds flavor that you can, you know, you can grab a hold of and think of ways of, of utilizing them in ways that are non-typical. And I just, mm-hmm. I just thought, man, why can't more, because when I look at some of these others, it's like, it still goes down to, you know, it's just all the combat stuff and it's just right. like, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I, it's nice to put things in context. And that's maybe you know I, I I don't know when you're do, when you're doing a monster book, I mean I guess your priority priorities have to be one the 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 stat block and then two probably a piece of artwork, and then and then the words almost get third priority into like a monster manual in a way I you know in in a way but uh, there's some out there that do a pretty good job like I'm a I'm a collector of 
monster manuals of even if you know if i don't play the system i still collect them and uh i mean like pathfinder never played Pathfinder. collected all their books you know they've got like maybe one sentence two sentences about a description of the monster but that's pretty much it a lot of times they don't give you too much more than you know because the, the stat blocks usually take up a half a page to a full page on uh, you know on certain things um but then you have uh stuff that came out from frog god games like their tome of horrors or i'm trying to think of the other one that they did monstrosities where they actually put like a mini adventure that kind of goes with it or a situation that kind of goes with each one to try to give some context to the creature which is nice yeah i agree because i think that does make it more helpful even if you don't necessarily use those you can right. understand situations where you could use them and how you would use them in those situations so mm -hmm. i and i agree because i do go through occasionally and we'll start flipping through it's like this looks for really good creature write-ups or and it's hard to find anything that really just gives much flavor to them you right. know and if that's if the only difference between you know a, a goblin and a kobold and a, an orc and a and a uh, um, hobgoblin and a you know it's like are just gradations of power and a change Basically. of alignment it's just like okay that's it's like it's like some weird granularity going on for a war game i mean that's what it just feels like it's like sure you know but when you all of a sudden you you can you can do where you can make one of them like the mongrel men mm -hmm. and somewhat sympathetic and and uh you know, then it kind of can change things up a little bit. And I think they, that sometimes is what they do, you know, but to various effect. Um, well, that's why I think like through the, the, what I was talking about the maturity part, I think, like you say, you look at these goblinoid kind of creatures and you, like you said, you just see grades of the same thing, just advanced and every, but as we've gone on, we got kind of tired of that. So I a lot of people put more con or you know, I keep on saying the word context, but you know, add to it, give them some sort of personality, try to veer away from the, the stereotypical stuff. Because I, I mean, I know in my campaign, I've, I've changed the goblins around, I've changed the orcs around, I ch the even the bugbears and gnolls and hobgoblins, they have their own kind of distinct culture from one another. You know, and some of that's borrowed from the original text, but I've just kind of taken what they've already maybe hinted at and just sort of uh, tried to take it a step or two further. And I think a lot of people, when they're writing adventures, hopefully you're kind of taking that and doing that a little bit more than just trying to write a stat block down. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of funny because when I tried writing up creatures and such, it's 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 hard to really start thinking outside just the normal or thinking about maybe, okay, what scenarios would, would these be particularly good for? And, you know, and, and one thing I tried to do for someone, one thing I was working on, I was like, well, you know, trying to describe what they look like, you know, that's not easy or no, bring out no. like a smell, like, okay, you know, kind of bring some of the other senses in it besides just maybe just the visual, like, right. you know, does it make a particular sound or does it do, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it, it, I think we're, we're, we, it's still easy to just go for the, the, the combat stuff. It's really hard right. to take a step back and think, okay, you know, is there a way that this, you know, that this something unusual and unique about this creature that would make it a little bit more interesting to the players. Right. Uh, 
And I think in that case, I know we're veering away from the, the adventure here, but I think what helps me the most in that situation is when I just individualize the, the, the creatures in that way and not try to think of them as a whole, but we're, we're talking about this particular bugbear, you know? So, you know, what made that bugbear so much fun that you liked was he was an individual who had his own little motivations outside of his, his tribe. And that's what makes them memorable and uh, fun. Uh, so I think that's, I mean, a, a strategy to try to try to do just individualize the monster, use the use, use what the general stuff is, but then just take it a step or two further than that. Yeah. And I think for me, it was actually dealing more with even with creatures. Yeah. Even though I kind of considered the monsters is just like, like the know, actual monster monster things, huh? Yeah, like all of a sudden, like with, you know, well, so for the post-apocalyptic game, I, what I did was, do you remember, um, uh, man, I'm, I'm losing it, Incredible Creature, it was Incredible Creatures, the game, where it was Microsoft. Okay, I don't so, think I played that one, no. So basically, you were a scientist, and you, you could mix these two different creatures together, Okay, and, and then you could, you could mix a termite with a tiger or uh, an elephant oh, yeah. with. And so what I did was I created a spreadsheet that, that randomly put them together. I used the creatures from that. Right. And then I did a few other little random things. And then I would try and come up with something based on uh, a <laughs> walking stick with a camel. Oh my. You so know, whatever it may be. Oh, it went really well. Uh, yeah. But then it's like, okay, but you, you, it's like, okay, what, what is the thing like, you know, what's unusual about it? Like, does it create a smell? Like, is it edible? Right. You know, if you do eat it, what's it like? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Is, does is it, it taste like chicken? Does yeah. it taste like chicken? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and then, so but I think the thing is, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, do they make certain sounds? Like maybe, maybe mm -hmm. you can avoid, maybe these are really dangerous, but maybe they're beetles. You know, so it was, a, it was a beetle crossed with a, I think it was like a beetle crossed with maybe a, a, um, a boar or. Oh, they were just, Oh, yeah. That sounds <laughs> nasty. Yeah, yeah. I would not want that. would yeah. not want a beetle as big as a boar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So it's like, you know, and I started thinking like, okay, they're, you know, what are these boars doing in, in, uh -huh. in the South? They're just, they're just damaging tremendous amounts of vegetation. And then you, you know, so I kind of tied with that, but then it's like, well, but maybe you can, they're very dangerous, but, but maybe you can just hear them. Right. And they're, they're, they're because they're, uh, they are mostly vegetarian, you know, that maybe th this, the sounds of the shells clicking. The key word in that sense was mostly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to fall down in front of one. Right, just right, like a regular, right. like a pig, you know, regular pig. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It's right. Like, it's all fun and games till you take a nap in front of one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll see who's breakfast now, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's so anyway. Uh, I like that just, idea though. That's it's fun, but it's a good exercise. I think, I think that's a interesting writing exercise to kind of cross, you know, do some random crossing like that and then just try to figure out. Yeah. Stuff for, you know, so what you could do, this is something I proposed a long time on the hero boards, is you could take your monster manual mm -hmm. and you could say, uh, looks like, um, acts like, and has the motivation of, 
and then just randomize each one of those. Right. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's, you roll up, oh, it's a, it's an elf, but it's, but it acts like a devil. And then it's, you know, it's got a motivation of whatever it may be. You can, you pick your, your criteria, you could roll, randomly right. roll those hmm. and to see what you, you come up with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That would be a fun one to do. And yeah. the so, other, th- oh, I was just going to bring up, so, so like you're the one who kind of proposed for us to kind of do this adventure, Jeff, like to kind of look at it and reimagine it in a way. So what was your motivation for like what, out of all the adventures that you had in the past, why did, why was this one the one you think that you wanted to do this to? Um, I think I don't know. <laughs> don't know. That's fair enough. I, yeah. I, I think I'll tell you what I like. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why things come into my head. I can't ever explain that. But I like the idea of being constrained in an area. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of multiple factions. I like the idea of characters being outside those factions and then having to deal with those factions. Okay. And I also like the fact that you're also there's a there you are out of your element as well. Because you're in a jungle or something like that, or well, it's like you, there's no city guards. There's nothing that that you could normally. Well, see, maybe not out of the. Let's say it's not out of probably maybe the character's element, but like mm-hmm. it, it's out of the normal element. There's no longer like you're no longer in civilization. You know, sure. you are. And I, you could say, yeah, but most characters aren't. You're going in these weird dungeons, and, that's, and that is true. But the idea is that, you know, you are stuck in the city till you, or this area, whatever, until you can either f- figure something out or maybe never can leave. And you're just going to have to figure yeah. out what the long-term plan is going to be. Yeah, because you don't know if you're going in here for an adventure or you're going to be building your biggest castle in the entire world for in this place <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think this one was never intended to be long term. But I mean, but no. I, I like the idea of where you could create something that could be long term. Yeah, that yeah. you could be something that would also be a little bit larger in scope that you could either go in or out, or maybe you could stay for a long time, or you could have different people come at different time periods, and just it, mm-hmm. it could be a little bit different. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting too, seeing the different time periods. Yeah, it's so uh, yeah, because I think you're was it you talk about like you know, like somebody goes to a city and then it's just the city changes, right? Yes. Yeah. And then somebody else Always comes back changing, later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They may not they may not understand all the things that they're seeing, but you as a GM can say, Well, these things have happened differently and uh you know, and and um I think it helps us. But I think that's what I, I I like about it. So I mean, I like the idea of probably like a red nails, uh, the Conan story where it's trapped. It's been a long time. He's trapped in city. And there's just two there's two factions that are trapped and they hate each other. And you right. know, the red nails is they drive a nail into this board for every person they kill on the other side. And they're just mutually wiping each other out slowly. Right. <laughs> slow termination of everybody. Yeah, but I think I also like the idea of also just turning up the weird a little bit you know and yeah. uh and because it's like you know what do you you know how do things live for a long time well maybe it's maybe this is no longer on the earth if maybe people don't have to eat as much 
or maybe they do have to eat and there's food there or maybe they have to eat each other or maybe mm-hmm. one group because i was thinking about the see, i was thinking about that cannibalism aspect before I, I read this back about what they were doing to the mongrel men, I was kind of thinking, well, that'd be kind of interesting. I was thinking, well, we could get something like the Morlocks or whatever they're called, those degenerated people. Right. Like, maybe we could make them sympathetic and they kind of get all, you know, they're the ones that people hunt and eat. And then later on, I'm reading about the mongrel men. It's like, oh, that was already, you know, baked into the story. Right. Already you know, originally. Yeah. So it's like, so I think. It's stuff like that that resonates with me where there's probably choices that you can make that you don't have to make. Right. That can, yeah, yeah and, and, and a lot of different options. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, I think those are the best kind of adventures when you, when you're, when you add that element to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me, it, it, so it's, it really is, even though this, this book's kind of weird the way it's split up. There's only like seven or eight pages actually deal with weird. the city. Yeah. There's the rest of it is some maps and then it's this then it's the entrances. That's another thing I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know that I particularly think over like I'm in love with it, but there's multiple ways to get into the city. Right. Multiple locations. Yeah, they even have an option where you can fly in, too, if you want to. <laughs> Granted, you're going to have to, I think, was it wasps or something you got to deal with? or well, Yeah, the wasps, yeah. Like, yeah, you gotta, yeah, that seems battle. a little mean, but it's yeah. like, okay. I think I'd forewarn the... the, the one the to three giant wasps. And there's, I think one you could just jump into a tree and hope for the best. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I'll I'll bring up my favorite thing in here. It's a that as long as you're not in the tournament. This was the tournament rules. I didn't see that at first, but like they put a stipulation in there that you couldn't bring more than 300 feet for the the party. I always thought that just was weird. So what are you going to do? Try to throw your rope up 300 feet to try to get out? But it was more to get in and out. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Because I mean, if you could pick where you came in, which you could with your flying, I suppose, you know, suppose. Um, because the way I imagine this thing is just a huge gorge with like, what is it, 300, 400 feet sheer cliffs on it, all around it or something? Is it, yeah. you know, kind of just in a huge sinkhole? Yeah. In a way, uh, a jungle sinkhole. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how much that would help going in anywhere other than. Um, you know, just having some control where the entrances are. Well, I think, you know, as we're talking about, I think what the situation was that, that every choice you made for an entrance has some sort of danger. Right. And so you have to face something. Now, some are less dangerous than others. So it's kind of rewarding people maybe for taking certain avenues. If you go one, you go, you could go, go through the Yanti and take them out immediately. That might save you a lot of headache later on. Right. Right. Yeah. But then again, it's the most dangerous way to get in maybe. Yeah. Cause know. they're the most powerful group. So they can, they can definitely stand up to a party if they just try to do a frontal assault on that. Yeah. That was one of the things that was always difficult. I think that I remember from this module is doing the entrances because like the, the overall map really didn't give you the, the actual entrances they showed you where they came in at but that wasn't the entrance because they have these sub maps that are the entrances to come you know right to get in there 
and that that always kind of was discombobulating for me a little bit there but after i figured it out yeah it's uh one it's my phone (laughs) it's just gonna have to ring i guess my kids will not pick up the phone oh for them (laughs) sure and most of the time it's just junk Oh, you actually have a home phone still, Jeff, huh? We're old school, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. I would try to talk to wife out. She's like, no. Let's okay. keep that. <laughs> <That's good>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm not sure why, but uh, I think, well, is... I, I think the, the headache of going back and, and, and having, I don't know why we do. Yeah, You'd have to ask my wife, I guess. Yeah, who knows? One of these days you're gonna go. I'm really glad we have this phone. You know, but, yeah. It'll, you just don't know what day that'll be or whatever. Yeah, I just know it's not today. Like, <laughs> one of the things I always like to ask too, because it's like you know, all adventures are kind of written in a different uh, level. How difficult on a range from one to ten do you think it is to run this adventure? Oh, to, to mean as a GM to run yeah, it? Yeah, as a GM. Let's say, you know, you got it for the first time, in, or even now, you're reading through it and stuff. You've got all these moving parts in there. I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't give this to a beginning GM at all, you know, and I'd almost be hesitant to even give it to someone who is medium level GM. I think for this one, you almost has to be almost a higher level, someone who's got a lot of experience with it in a way. Yeah, I would. So if we were to put a 10 at uh, the Princes of the Apocalypse, I would probably say it's not that high of a level, no. but I would say it's probably a seven. I'd say a seven. That's what I was going to say about a seven up there. Cause you can uh, go through, you can go through, let's just say, you don't know where the players going to go down. Right. And that really affects what they do. Cause this is nothing railroad about it. And there's no tracks on this thing at all. No. No, none. I mean, because every because this is your a true. It's not a hex crawl, but it's about as close as a dungeon hex crawl adventure that you're going to get in a lot of ways. I think the other problem, and is is the I'll say is the I don't know if I could organize it, but I don't know if the organization of information is the best either. But maybe it's, maybe no. it's fine. I don't know. I think, yeah, it definitely could be improved. I mean, even the placement of the maps were, were kind of, even in the original, because Jeff and I are actually working off of uh, uh, the reprints from Drive Through RPG, and uh, they're kind of included in the page. But I remember, because I have the original one, and the maps were kind of out of sync of where you were trying to deal with stuff, especially like the entrance maps. Yeah, and that's where I think... I don't know. This is where I could, I could see it be both better and worse. I mean, mm-hmm. you could almost think if, if you had like in, they weren't doing zines or anything like that, but you can almost wonder if a digest size per certain areas would work. But but even that may be confusing too, as you have to go back and forth. Right, go back and forth with them. And also it's like you're, you're be dealing with, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to handle this because it is, you know, because you have all these potential combinations based on those wandering charts, mm-hmm. too. You don't know right. what's going to come up. 
No, and I think that's part of it. I mean, I think you're on the right track with maybe separating it, but just kind of have different sections in the book describe, you know, the Yanti. And then this section here kind of goes through maybe the, the overall yeah. stuff, the descriptions of the areas, and then even have a, a section of motivations and stuff that they interact with and do that with each different faction. And then probably have like a another section for the in-between places that are, you know, laid out through here um and that way if you, you and then you could probably design the map a little bit better because the map is a little confusing uh yeah it's it's hard to find the letters sometimes on this too it's like the other day i couldn't find one of the letters and it's because it I starts agree. off as at a9 and a10 and then right. you scan over a little bit more and you can barely see an h and then an E and a C thirteen eleven and an F and then right above the F is an L. It's like <laughs> right. What's weird is like because it's got A nine and A ten to be me looking and think. Well, where's the rest of the A's? Well, the rest right. of the A's are another map. Exactly. Yeah. So you got that, yeah you got J then you got J eight like where right. what's J one through seven. Right. Yeah. And that's that was part of the stuff that I was saying that was I remember looking at in the beginning and that's what was kind of confusing for me and that. And, uh, and they have this kind of interesting map. I think if I remember correctly, this is one of the first like kind of maps where they drew a city and kind of individualized the buildings. They didn't just black out a square and say that yeah. was a building or something. They, they tried to put a little personality in here. And some of those little areas are like, I want to know what that is. You know, I feel like writing an adventure for you know, or uh, an encounter for that five spiral spire. Yeah. Looks like th those things from like Russia on their ice or, or Christmas <laughs> candles looking things. Like what, is, you know, what's in there and what's over there. So it, the, the other thing it has, it has a lot of room where you could, exp you know, really expand on and the GM could add a lot of interesting things on there. Yeah. And I think the thing is, it probably like all modules at that time was space consideration. I mean, they, yeah. they've, they've got 28 full pages. And, right. you know, it's like they should have added more, but it's like, but maybe they were constrained by 28 pages. I don't know. Well, that's a long adventure for them because they used to yeah. write, you know, what, I think they were mainly like 12 pages long a lot of times. Yeah. And this one, this one has like a small, New section of monsters on the back, which is, which is uh, a lot of the stuff. I guess, and I keep on forgetting, it has an abolith in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, you can't get much nastier than an abolith. That's like one of the, uh, as far as I I can remember, it's probably one of the hard, hardest plotting creatures that there is. You know, it's. To me, it's sort of like the underworld version of, or underwater version of like a beholder almost. You know, it's that really top tier, mid level big boss that could just cause all sorts of horrible things. And, uh, but yeah. the number one thing. Oh, let's hear it. Are you ready? Yeah, and we got to do a good little drum roll. Is uh, the front cover? Yes, the frog. So, yeah, Earl Otis. So, if, as I, I mean, as I keep looking at this, I mean, there's so many things that go through my mind. Yes. So one is, if you look at it, uh, 
the fighter's not in a great position. It looks like he's going to come out on top, but but it's not very okay. heroic looking, right? No, yeah, he's got his arm. He's basically in half Nelson, uh, with the frog's tongue, getting his arm twisted off as he's gutting the frog. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and then you and got then, some little gnome in the background blasting a bunch of little. I, I, are those those are just regular frogs, right? Those I believe so. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of frogs getting massacred behind. It limbs coming off, right? Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of you got a splash of frogs going on over there. Yeah. The I don't know what they're fighting on. Like it looks like a red cloud or something like that. Yeah, stomach. I'm gonna say I'm I'm going to give my uh my impression here in a little bit, but we'll uh what I'm thinking about this whole thing. But the other thing is if you think about the adventure and you're if somebody's to come to you. And you're an artist, and they say, you know, Tim, I want you to draw something from this module. <laughs> right. What do you want to have represent the module? What do you want? It's like you got this abolith, you've got, uh, what is it, that big dragon, that oriental dragon yeah. that's in the back. You've got Yanti. Uh, the Yanti, and then uh, just, you know, an array of different creatures but earl says i'm doing a frog <laughs> i'm doing a frog and he's going to be putting a fighter with little lightning bolts on his leather breast chest with cat ears on his helmet yeah and a half nelson <laughs> you know it's fantastic i mean it looks like the frog's like a little sick too because he's got you know you see but just ribs on him or whatever but yeah and then yeah if, i mean I, I i it's just one of those adventure covers though that i just never forget because you tell me the frog it's you know i call it the frog adventure yeah you know that's what i always i never called it dwellers of the forbidden city i call it the frog adventure and you can even see as the sword's poking in this frog yeah not only is the blood coming out but it's in 3D with light shining off in these rivulets and rivers coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's just, I mean, I love the little, uh, I don't know what spell that little gnome is back there with his weird little hat. Looks almost like a Jack Skellington hat or something <laughs> like that with a curl or pre Jack Skellington, I guess, because this is 81 and uh, just blasting the hell out of his, uh, creatures. I don't know if that's a magic missile or. Here, here's know. my th here's my theory on this. Mm. I don't know. I'm just I'm just guessing based off okay. of other Earl Otis. I don't even know if he even played D and D. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say it's just it's just <laughs> artist thing where he's just blasting yeah. the hell out of him because it's just fun. Yeah. Random frog leg flying up in the air. <laughs> Another frog with his arms up in the air, looking like he's doing a. What was that called? A Wilhelm scream. Uh, and then another one trying to dive out of the way, but he didn't make it. Yeah. I, I think I think what I like about this and I think what sets the tone is, is of course the the gnome looks pretty like he's got it, he's got it covered. Yeah, he's not looking worried at all. He's just kind of he's in the driver's seat over there. But, but you also realize not everybody's probably gonna make it through here. I mean, it just it there's a little bit of stark like things aren't necessarily going to turn out well. I mean, it just, especially it, it for the fighter. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's, 
I think that's what I like about some of the Earl Otis is is it's it's a, it's dark. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of creep to it. He he chooses a type of lighting. I guess in here it'd be almost like a lit from a blow that creates this this look of ghoulish. And I I love that vibe, and I think that's what I would like to have for that is where it just where it's like things are a little bit weird. Things are very messy. This isn't Larry uh, Elmore drawing. You know, right, this is right. not this is not a Jeff D. This is this is just a weird and um, just a, a it's very textured in the way it's done. Yeah, I don't know, like I always think in some ways you know like you kind of funny you compared them i always kind of compare like you think of jeff d and all those guys i think like if you're compared them to movie directors you like joe or larry elmober would be like uh uh spielberg and then uh the other guy you know be high oh right high end end. where otis to me he's roger corman he's the roger corman of uh you know (laughs) artists you know he he's not going to be this really shiny polishing but you just it's just going to be this really interesting cool definitely passionate kind of thing coming out of him that you're you're going to really enjoy yeah weird emotions you get pulled out of you that you didn't realize were there you're not sure why you're feeling this way yeah Yeah, i mean because he i mean he's been there from the beginning and and the and the the great thing about his stuff is you know it's so distinct that you're like oh yep that's an earl (laughs) and honestly if if we just play by art uh you know if if your actual game could be the art i would much rather play in an earl otis game than almost any other artist right well his is more i i mean like where you think Larry Elmore, he, I would say he's more high fantasy and Otis is more low fantasy kind of gaming. Yeah, and I think it just goes into uh, and also kind of starts hitting. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. it just it, I think it, it's not science fantasy either, but but there's mm-hmm. times where it's like it really could almost go that way too. It's not doing it here, but it right. just it it definitely has I. I don't know if it's more of a 70s, a vibe of the 70s uh, fantasy literature. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the kind of thing it's got where, you know, things are not so Tolkien-esque. It's kind of more of the the Michael Moorcock and, and such where things are just a little bit odd. But anyway, I just, that's why I love I, the, the vibe. And I just thought, you know, the, the choice of this, putting this big frog because the main character isn't the man. It's not the adventures. No. It's a frog. It's the frog. Absolutely. <laughs> Big ass frog. Yes. Yep. It was that, that there was an artist that was commissioned. Uh, what was his name? He was the, uh, it's been too long. So he was commissioned to do religious paintings. And so he did one was commissioned was the apostle Paul. So he did the Damascus road, but really what he put on, there was a big horse with an ass sticking right out. And that was his way of just being a jerk. <laughs> it's a beautiful painting. You look at it, you're like, my goodness. And you point to somebody like, you do realize that the prominent thing is this horse's ass. And it's right. Like, that's oh, the feature yeah. there. <laughs> No, that's a good that's a that's a good number one yeah i love that yeah because that's what i mean it if you uh, like when you told me about it the first time i do believe i said oh yeah the frog adventure yeah that's one of my favorites yeah that's cool 
But uh, yeah, I think the artwork in this 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 adventure was pretty good throughout too. I thought they did a really nice job with with it and everything. But like you know, so we're saying the layouts could use a little bit work, but tons of good stuff in here though. I mean, I it's it I think it withstands the test of time. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree, and uh, I think the thing is, is you know, with his adventure, it's like there's just so much I, I think is definitely um, a lot to sell. Even if you just wanted to run it on its own, it would take you a long time and a lot of notes to make this a runnable adventure. But boy, you could really have, I think a very fun long-term adventure mm -hmm. in this. Oh yeah. I think so too. Absolutely. And I mean, that's all you can really, that's one of the best things you can say about an adventure too. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of getting into it and and you know, doing some writing and kind of re-imagining it with you and everything. So that should that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that's the you know the best thing you can do mm -hmm. for a lot of these things is as you know you, you know you find something that's inspiring and just you know, absolutely put your own spin on yeah, it. and it's a good yeah. choice and. Uh, so the oh the if you want to look up the, the picture, it's called Conversion on the Way to Damascus. I think I know this one. Convert to <laughs> and it was yeah, it was Caravaggio. Okay. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, that just right, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the way artists would flip the finger to, yeah, to their he's, patrons. He's on the ground oh, yeah. laying down the you know, front and center is the, <laughs> the butt of the horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he did, really did a nice job on that horse's butt. Yes, he did. <laughs> he <Yeah>. did. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, so I think we, we mm -hmm. got all we did here. Uh, I, I did, uh, I think there was a couple of things yeah, I wanted sure. to share real quick. So, uh, up on the, you probably knew this. So I was, I had this idea where I was going to, uh, for the, for the Zing Quest, I was going to mail all my uh, media mail books, like all 49 of them mm -hmm. or whatever it is I got. Uh, and I, as uh, a media mail, right? So I took them at the post office. <laughs> do you know when people say that they can only do so many at a time? Have you ever, like, have you ever taken a bunch of media mail well, up there at one time? Usually, I do that, Jeff, is I call them ahead of time and let them know I'm coming. <laughs> or, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I have a very good relationship with my post office because I mail there quite a bit. So they're very accommodating to me. But if they know I'm coming with like, 50 to 100 packages that I need mailed out. They'll usually put somebody else up on the desk when I get there. Yes, because I did yeah. not realize that. So I get I get there like an hour before they close, an hour and a half. It's a small bank or small uh, post office. Only one person in there. Yeah. And uh, it, it was. Uh, it she's like, well, she's like, I, 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 I'm the only one here. I'm like, yeah. and it's going to take me a while. I'm like, and and then she's doing it. I'm like, oh. Right. It takes a little bit. 
it takes you a half an hour to do 13 or right. 40 minutes. And there's other people lining up behind me as it's going They on. don't have a machine in your so, yeah, place so. where you can do that at? Because some most, well, I should say some post office have like a machine outside that you could actually do that with. Uh, it's about 12. Nothing no, like there's that. nothing like that. There's only one person. There's no, there's only one person that's run the gotcha. entire thing. Because the with ours, they actually have a machine outside of the, the, like the office where you have to go in and everything that you can throw your stuff in onto and do and mail stuff out, but you can't do it for international. Unfortunately, they used to be able to do it out there, but now you can't do it. So I have to always go inside to do my international stuff these days. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, and then the other thing is, you did hear about um, Marvel is doing a new RPG, mm. Marvel Comics. I don't think so. Well, anyway, they got uh, Matt Forbes. I call it six one six. They got a new RPG that's going to be coming out. They're going to do a, a, you know, a beta release next year, and then they're going to come out with, uh, you know, the the full version in like twenty twenty three. So like I interview Matt Forbuck. I'll I'll call Matt. I'll yeah. get a hold of Matt and say, you know, I know you can't discuss a lot of details, but hey, he's like, well, you uh, you got to talk to Marvel before disclose I disclose anything. Talk yeah, about he probably this does have one of those agreements. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So let me let me see if I can pull up the mail. Um, yeah, so I, the guy's nice enough, and he responded. I said, "Hey, I'd like to, you know, interview Matt regarding this." I realize not a lot of details, but you know, I'm, I'm an amateur podcaster. And he says, um, "Hi, Jeff. Apologies for the delay. We'll keep you in mind and let you know when interview opportunities open up." Okay. <laughs> well, at least he wrote you back like a personal <laughs> one. Is you know, it's a personal blow off letter. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, and it was within a couple of days, and he apologized yeah, for being late. It's like it's like no, so but I'm like, we'll keep you in mind and let you know when interview opportunities open up. Versus like it almost, I, oh man, it's like it sounds. If you were just to read this, it sounds like he's thinking like I'm wanting to be interviewed or I'm applying for a job. I said I'm 95 percent sure that that's not the case, <laughs> but right. but. It, what I think, I think what he's saying is there's going to be certain a time period where we're going to disseminate right. information. And when we do disseminate information, we're going to choose exactly who we're going to disseminate that information yeah. to. Yeah. And it's probably not. Probably me. not. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe they'll say, get on that, Jeff. Yeah. We'll go interview Matt. Yeah. That's so, funny. Anyway, that was mine. I hate to. Hate to cut it short, but we're hitting the time space continuum. I got a I got a hard stop, Mister. Thanks you. Th Thanks you. Thanks you. Thanks you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It was fun to go on. Yeah, I said. Yep, see you later, Mister. Later.